It's wonderful to be in the house of God. Uh, just uh, thank you, Randy, for giving me the opportunity to preach. Thank you for encouraging me to share the word of God. Let's go ahead and, and open in prayer. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that it is. I thank you for the exhortation that it is. I thank you for the challenge that it is. I thank you for the mirror that it is, Lord. God, that we can look to it for wisdom, for guidance. God, for conviction, for clarity. God, you, your word sets us straight, God. And I thank you that your Holy Spirit can open our eyes. Your Holy Spirit can cause blind eyes to see, can cause hard hearts to be opened and to be softened. And we thank you, God, for your word, Lord. I pray, God, that you would take me out of the way completely tonight, Lord. I pray, God, that you would speak through your word. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill me and speak through me, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, Lord, would open our hearts, God, to your word. God, the things that you're wanting to speak into our hearts, Lord, I pray, help us to accept it in humility and in meekness, God. Help us to surrender all to you, God. Help us to hear your voice, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd move in our hearts tonight, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Randy had asked me to uh, preach uh, today, and I had been praying, Lord, what would you want us to hear? What would you want me to share on, and what do you want to challenge me with? And um, the message I share tonight, I share with you as a fellow layperson. I'm not a, a full-time pastor, have a full-time job just like you do. Um, and I believe this message is a wonderful reminder, a wonderful message to always hold in our hearts and scripture verses you all probably have heard already, but it's a wonderful reminder and a stirring for each one of us to remember why we're here and what, what the real important things are. And I want to open up with an example, and, and the Lord used carnal examples to, um, to illustrate spiritual examples, and I kind of want to start uh, with a very just simple example uh, tonight. Uh, some of you may be business majors. Uh, some of you may be interested in business and investments and things like that. Uh, Daly and I joke that we are, uh, we're going to try to find something that's never been invented and uh, be successful that way. But uh, think about that, though. Think about uh, probably the easiest example to think of now is, is these big uh, tech investors and, and entrepreneurs. Think of Jeff Bezos, who, uh, you know, 25 years ago, you ordered things through a catalog. People, when they ordered online, didn't really want to order online. There was, you know, some kind of uh, um, concern with that. And so never really, no one really thought business would switch online where you're buying things that you've never seen in person, right? But this man who, who worked, I think, for an investment bank or investment firm, uh, was doing consulting, and he saw a pattern, and he, he was able to project and see, hey, in the next 15 or 20 years, with technology and the internet developing the way it's developing, um, commerce is going to be transacted online. And so this man, who had a really great foresight, was able to see that, and he started with books, and then he grew the business, and, and now Amazon is one of the biggest, I think, if not the biggest uh, corporation in the world uh, making a, a ton of money, but he had that foresight, and he was able to see where that was going, right, and, and just think of other entrepreneurs, you think of Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, uh, some website where you know some friends from college, and where, where's that going to go, right, and, and, and he had that, this business plan, and he saw what 
social networking would be, right? And now he's a, he's a billionaire. Um, Instagram, sharing pictures online. Uh, Microsoft, you think of uh, Bill Gates and how he, or whatever you think of him, um, how he developed Microsoft and the software for word processing. You see, you see the same pattern in these men that they were able to see something happening in the future that other people were not. And perhaps when they pitched their business plan uh, to investors, they, there was probably a lot of trepidation, like, oh, are you sure about this? Or are people really going to buy things online? Or, or, are people really going to share all their information on Facebook? Oh, it's amazing what people share on Facebook, right? But, but you see how these men, these business leaders, were able to see that um, and, and invest their time. And they were diligent, invested their time, their money, everything into it. And, and they're able to see success, at least in a worldly sense. Maybe you, you like real estate, or you think, oh, is this house going to be um, a good investment? Um, well, where's the land? Where's the property on it? Is, is the city going to be growing in that direction, right? Is the neighborhood going to be good? And so there's some foresight because they're not seeing the full return right now. There's, in a sense, a risk in what they're doing in their business, right? But the common thread you see in these successful business people is they saw something in the future, Others did not. They had knowledge and foresight into something that the rest of the world did not. They worked hard. They sacrificed a lot to acquire and achieve what ultimately would bring them great wealth. And, you know, Jesus kind of alluded to a, a similar example to this in one of the many parables that he shared. And he talked about um, the unjust uh, steward or servant. In, in Luke chapter 16, eight, just, uh, Jesus said this. He said, the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And what Jesus meant by this is that worldly people, in a sense, business people, in a sense, this steward was, was basically bartering to get debt um, forgiven. They're very aggressive in what they want. They're very aggressive and they do things that people don't realize or don't really take the effort to see is going to happen. And so Jesus, in a sense, was scolding believers for not being aggressive in spiritual things the way worldly people are aggressive in carnal things and business things. And um, I want to start with this passage in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, and the title that the Lord gave me for this sermon is, Where is Your Treasure? Where is Your Treasure? Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. I'll give you a second to turn there. Our church did a wonderful uh, study in our Sunday school about parables, and um, it's wonderful studying these parables and, um, and just the great understanding the Lord brought about in the parables that He shared. Um, and we're going to take a look at that. So Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44, it says again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and he buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
pretty similar example from the one that we just opened up with, right? What is the Lord saying? There's a, a, a businessman, essentially. There's a hidden treasure in this field no one else knows about. I'm going to sell all that I have, and I'm going to go buy it. This jeweler recognizes his pearl that no one else knows its worth. No one else, and no one else realizes it. And he goes and he sells all that he has to purchase this one pearl. Right? And so people without the knowledge on the outside are saying, this man is crazy. This business guy's crazy. Why would you do that? To go buy some field? To go buy some, some pearl from an oyster? Right? To the outside world, it seems nuts. To the person that didn't see what these people saw, they're absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. And many successful business people seem very crazy at first, the good businessmen. But they see something other people don't see. They see the worth in something that others cannot. And my question to you tonight is, and for myself, do we fully understand the worth of the kingdom of heaven? Because the Jesus was talking about this. The worth of the kingdom of heaven is like a goodly pearl and a treasure hidden in a field. What's the Lord saying? Not everyone is going to recognize the worth that there is in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that applies to salvation, but I also believe that applies as Christians to how we live our lives and how do we really treasure God, the things of God, who He is, the majesty of fellowship with the Lord, the satisfaction and fulfillment there is when we know God, when we walk with Him, when we commune with Him, when we sense His love, His protection, the preciousness of communion with Him. People of God, men and women of God, that come to the Lord with childlike faith, begin to recognize the preciousness of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Many people would ask, these apostles seem so foolish. Peter, why would you leave your successful, seemingly successful business as a fisherman? Why would you leave your boat? Why are you following this man? Why are you leaving your nets and leaving your dad back to tend to that? Why are you doing that? You seem crazy. You seem foolish. They left their boats. They left their livelihood to follow Jesus. And many of them were, were eventually martyred, persecuted, abandoned by their friends, accused of treason. Peter was martyred upside down on a cross, tradition says. These men perhaps became famous and in were included with books in the Bible, but to the world, they seem like utter fools. They seem like utter fools. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. And we're all familiar with this passage, but I think this is a wonderful verse that describes this. And these are, this is actually describing people, men and women of God, before the fulfillment of Christ came. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says, These all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I believe the Lord's asking us, he's asking me, Alberto, are you persuaded of my promises? Are you able to see the promises of God far off? Do you embrace the promises of God? Do you confess those promises? Are you a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? Doesn't following the Lord and seeking Him seem so weird and crazy to this world? And not that we need to be weird or crazy, some people are. But doesn't it seem so weird and crazy to our lost friends, our lost family? Why do you go to church all the time? Why do you go to church on Sunday and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night? Why do you go to those prayer meetings? Why do you go to those Bible studies? You're crazy. That's fanatical. That's weird. Right? And if I wasn't a believer, and if I didn't see worth in it, it would be crazy. Right? It's wonderful that we're here tonight. It's a sacrifice for a lot of us to be here tonight. Kids have school in the morning. Kids have homework. You have a young child and a young baby. You're very tired. You don't feel good. You've had a long week. You're stressed out, but you're here. Why? There's something bigger than my life and my responsibilities and my stresses and my responsibilities. There's something bigger. There's something deeper. There's something richer. There's something eternal that I can't see with my physical eyes but God's given me and starting to give me a deeper understanding with spiritual eyes. And I'm not saying that because you go to church and Bible studies makes you a Christian. But your commitment and your desire to be with the people of God, to hear the word of God, to be exposed to the things of God at every opportunity is a step of faith. And we don't see the fulfillment and perhaps the return of all of that week after week, year after year. But I'm telling you, in eternity and with things that matter, you're seeing something the rest of the world does not see. You know, Paul was a very ambitious man, Saul. He was very aggressive. He was very, had a lot of perseverance. He was very driven in what he believed. But he was blind. Jesus had to come give him a knock on the head. Why do you kick against the goats? And this is a wonderful spiritual picture because what happens? Paul is blinded. And there are scales in his eyes. And then God sends a Christian who prays over him. And what happens? Those scales fell off. And Paul is able to see now physically, but he's able to see now spiritually something he never saw before. And Paul ends up spending, it's a very long process, but he spends his life for the Lord. 
he goes to the hornet's nest of Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry because God had a purpose. Amen. And to many, he seemed foolish. And he shared, I believe, the perception of the world to him in the preaching of the cross. If y'all can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to look at a couple verses in that book. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Foolishness. That preaching is silly. But unto us which are saved, it is what? The power of God, the power of God to change you, the power of God to save someone from drugs, alcohol, oppression, sin, the power of God to set a bound soul free, the power of God to make a nervous, anxious, suicidal person have a peace that no medicine can bring a solution to, freedom from addiction that no psychologist can give. A peace that no prescribed medicine or psychiatrist can explain. It's the power of God to change someone that this world doesn't understand. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. And I want to pose this question to you because I think all of us, if we're honest with each other, will struggle with this. When things are very difficult, when things are very hard, there'll be a whisper in your ear. Is this all really worth it? Is all this stuff really real? Is God really real? Is his word really real? Is Jesus and what he did really real? Those whispers of the enemy will come. They'll whisper in your ear. They'll make you question why you do what you do, why you're committed to the Lord the way you're committed to the Lord. And I believe Paul touches on this for a reason because he wants to challenge the Corinthians and remind them of something. Chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. We'll look at this part, then we'll look at the rest of the chapter in a second. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are, of all men, most miserable. Why did Paul say that? Paul had sacrificed a lot. He had sacrificed his reputation. He had sacrificed his life. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was persecuted by his own nation, his own people. I'm sure Paul probably struggled with this at times. You have to take account. Why, do you, why are you here at church? Children, teenagers, why are you here? Why do you come to church? Why do you say that you're a Christian? Why, why were you baptized when you were young? Why? Do you really believe this? Do you really believe the Bible? Do you really believe what it warns about, what it promises? Do you really believe it? I think sometimes when we come to church and we're walking with the Lord, our hearts can become hardened and dull, and the things of God in church become boring. We come here and we're half asleep. We're staring at our phones. We're thinking about what we have to do tomorrow. Right? For honest, we've all struggled with that. 
But I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me tonight. Where is your treasure? If this is really worth it, commit yourself fully to Him. And if you're struggling tonight with your walk, ask the Lord, God, open my eyes again. Stir me. You know, in Revelation, it talks about God hating lukewarmness. He hates it. He says, be hot or cold. Don't walk down the middle. And I believe that's what the Lord wants us to be challenged with. Where is your treasure? Be hot for the Lord. Be on fire for the Lord. Don't be cold. And y'all, I'm preaching to myself. I think sometimes we have to stop and take inventory. Where am I with the Lord tonight? Where am I in my walk with Him? I feel like I'm just floating and cruising through life. Right? We can lose our way. And Paul is telling us, hey, if it's not our real, this is not worth it. We're the most miserable. The mockery I've gotten from my family, the rejection, maybe if you've rejected from your family because of your walk in the Lord, all that's, this is foolish, it's not worth it, right? But Paul is saying, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is all worth it. Jesus died. He was resurrected. There's a wonderful eternal life after this life filled with many sorrows. Let's keep reading. Verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. There's a wonderful future. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Spiritual, isn't it? Man can't understand it with his mind and his eyes and his ears and his intellect. It's something spiritual. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Trumpet in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. What's Paul saying? There's something wonderful, spiritual, eternal that this world can't see. It's foolishness to them. But God's opened our eyes. And let's be reminded of it. There's something wonderful that's going to happen if we are uh, taken up in the rapture or if we die and are received to the Lord in glory. There's something wonderful and eternal after this life. This is not all there is. This is not all there is. Amen? So what are we called to invest in until then? Here on this earth, what is God calling us to invest in? Right? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And this is a challenge that the Lord gives 
as he's teaching the people. And we'll look at another very specific example. Matthew 6, 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. What's the Lord saying? He's not saying don't go to school, don't go to college, don't get a job, don't provide for your family, don't do your homework, don't do any of those things. He's not saying that. What's he saying? There are priorities that I want you to have and to be aware of. Because if you lose focus of that, if your focus is drawn downward instead of upward, you're going to start spending your time, your money, your effort, your energy on things that are not worth it. They're not worth it. They're not worth all the time you're putting into it. And I believe that goes as a challenge to those that are lost. But I believe that's also a challenge to us as Christians. Kind of shared on this a little bit Sunday night, but I don't want to be before the Lord and have these great regrets of why did I spend so much time? Why did I make that big career decision, that big financial decision? Why did I make that big time commitment? And it wasn't worth anything. It wasn't worth anything. And I believe when we're faithful to the Lord, and remember, man, that was a great sacrifice of time. But look at the souls that brought. Look at how many were snatched from the fires of hell. Look at that Christian that felt like giving up and that Bible study I studied for really ministered to them. That Christian who was quite confused but I took that time to study and teach that Sunday school lesson. And that time I was so embarrassed and so afraid and didn't want to get up and stand in front of everybody, but I shared that testimony and it caused that person to be saved. Amen, and we can give many examples. But if we lose track and we lose our focus, we're gonna start spending our time on things that don't even matter. Amen. And Jesus reminded the people of that. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. And this is a very direct challenge to someone individually. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 22 to 23 for time's sake. This is a rich young ruler. He had come to Jesus and he was kind of like eager beaver, right? He, he did all these commandments. He was... The straight-A student, I guess you would describe him, very by the book, and doing the things he thought were right, and, and then were on the surface right. But there was something deep inside that no one else saw. You know, the things that I can't see, you can't see, Randy can't see, but the Lord can see. And amen, thank you that the Lord is so wonderful 
been kind and long-suffering to show us, to deal with us about. Amen. And I'd rather the Lord deal with me about things before it gets worse. But what does he say? He, he hears him out. He says, now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You see that word treasure again? And come follow me. And how did the rich young ruler respond? When he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. You know, a lot of people have read this and said, let me become, quote, unquote, a Mother, Mother Teresa. Let me live in poverty, and that's going to bring me great treasure. They're missing, they're missing the bigger picture. Having wealth is not the problem. Abraham was very wealthy. Job was a very wealthy man, very successful businessman, right? And they're very diligent, I believe, in their business. And that's why God brought them that wealth. But you know what? When it came down to it, it wasn't their all. Abraham didn't care. He said, Lot, hey, if you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go this way, I'll go that way. The rich pastors, everything in his livestock, he knew God was going to take care of it. It wasn't where his focus was. God's going to take care of me. Job loved the Lord. He had many blessings. He had many children. Satan said, oh, he only loves you because of this, this, and this. God takes it away, allows it to be taken away. Job becomes a very broken man. But when those layers were being peeled, it wasn't riches that Job lived for or cared about. It was his relationship with the Lord. And for you, you may say, well, I'm not a wealthy person, so I'm, I'm fine. There's something that may be lingering in your heart that you don't want to give up. God's dealt with you about it. He's touched it. He's heard you out. He's touched it. And he says there's one thing. And I think some of us, when we hear this, we become very sorrowful because we don't want to give it up. We don't want to lay it down. And we don't want to follow the Lord all the way. We want to hold on to that. I want to tell you tonight, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's a greater treasure that's going to, in business terms, bring you much more ROI, return on investment, than any of those things will. And it's a life committed to the Lord. Amen. There's a treasure that Abraham saw. There's a treasure that Job saw. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 8. And we're drawn to, drawn to a close here. Bear with me. There's a lot of good scriptures I just wanted to go through because it's wonderful to see it in the word of God. Don't take my word for it. Luke chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. We have to count the cost. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world 
and lose himself or be cast away. Wow. You know, my um, uh, several years ago, I went with my mom and dad. We went to Israel, and uh, it was wonderful to see um, just places that you study about in the Bible. You also see a, a gross picture of religion and religiosity. People hold on to physical things, thinking it's going to somehow bring them spiritual satisfaction. We were walking through these narrow streets, and you see people carrying these big crosses and they're going up and you know they're chanting all that they read the scripture verse and they think that's what that means the cross is a spiritual picture it's a spiritual picture about denying ourselves about not going with what I want but what he wants we're not valuing my own life and my own priorities but I'm valuing his life and his priorities and what the world would consider losing everything in eternity, it's saving everything. Just and I think about this, you know, um, you know, just go back to the example at the beginning. Uh, people like Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk, you know, they're on the news all the time. You know, they're so wealthy that when you've attained such wealth and success in the world there's always something else and it's going to Mars or it's you know Bill Gates investing these millions to help save the world and in as commendable as some of those things may or may not be that's it that's all they have when when they die and go before God none of that's there it's all gonna burn it's it's gonna rust it's gonna corrupt Going to Mars is not going to matter when you're going to hell, right? And I need to realize that, and it's sad because they don't see it, and they think you're a fool to tell them otherwise. Those Christians are wackos. Those Christians, those born again, those fundamentalists are wacko, right? They're crazy. They're fanatical. Um, now there's this new term, Christian nationalist, which is, in my opinion, absurd, but those are terms and, and catchphrases that the world um, throws on Bible-believing Christians who believe the Lord at his, in his word and that the word of God is true. It's foolishness to them. But it's sad and tragic because you know the end. And it's not for us to mock them and laugh at them. It's to pray for them. It's to be burdened for them. Amen? But bringing it back to, to me... Where is my treasure? Where is your treasure? Is it here? Alberto, where are your priorities? Where are y'all's priorities? What are things that you treasure more than your walk and your obedience to the Lord? Is it your reputation? Is it your time? Is it your money? God will allow tests and temptations to come because he's refining us. He's refining me and he's refining you. And you know what? It's wonderful because Jesus lived his life on this earth as an example for you and I. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? Jesus didn't 
wasn't baptized because he needed to be baptized. He did it as an example. And what happened after, right after that? When you and I are baptized, it's a public confession, isn't it? It's a public confession to others and to the Lord. I've committed myself to God. And that's what Jesus did, right? Because it wasn't until that happened that his ministry started. But what happened right after he was baptized? Where did the Spirit lead him? The wilderness, right? And do you remember the temptations that Jesus was brought through? Right? And Jesus, in his physical body, with physical needs, right, went through those temptations as an example for us. And so what is, not to go, we don't have time to go through it, but what does Satan tempt him with, right? Wealth, power, influence. And Jesus responds with the word of God. And I'm telling you, after you commit your life to the Lord, Satan has his bullseye on you. And there are going to be things that cross into your path, into your life that may not be money, but they may be relationships. It may be your time management. It may be a calling that God has on your life that things are going to fight over. Let's say God's called you to be a Sunday school teacher. God's called you to be an evangelist. Whatever it may be, there's going to be a test to you on that. It's not like, oh, well, I've been called to do this and it's going to be so easy. There's going to be things that are going to be pushing against you. There's going to be things that are your health. Sometimes, sometimes we wonder, God, why are you allowing me to be sick? Why are you allowing me to have this? I've been praying so long and you don't answer and we just become hard, maybe bitter towards the Lord. Why is this all worth it? God never, what's God doing? I can't give the specific reason in your life, but I know that the Lord's refining me and he's refining you. How much you treasure God, how much you treasure the kingdom of God, how much you treasure the things of God will be reflected in the decisions that you make every day. The little ones and the small ones. Your priorities are going to be reflected in your life, the things that you spend time on, the things that you think about all day, the things that you um, exert all your stress about, right? All your time, all your money, all your energy. And again, I'm not saying business is bad. I'm not saying school and schooling and education. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. They're important. God wants you to do well in your job, in your business, in your responsibility. All those things are important. But they aren't my treasure. Amen. And y'all, I share all this up here because it's not something huh, I by any means have attained. This, all these scriptures are very convicting to me because I see failures in my spiritual walk many times because I don't treasure the right things. And sometimes we're going to have lapses in, in our Christianity with, in, in our walk with the Lord, if we're honest. But you know what? I don't have to stay in it. I don't have to continue in it. God right now tonight can change that. God right now can redeem that time. God right now can renew your walk with the Lord. God right now can help you give all to him. 
And if you're struggling with something tonight, it's not worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll close with this. It's an oft, often quoted, oft-quoted uh, passage, but it's never the full passage that's given. And the full one is just the most wonderful part, the context of it. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 13. And this is God towards Israel, so I'm not, I'm not putting myself in the place of Israel. But this is a wonderful character of God, because the same way God loved Israel and was patient with Israel, God is patient with you and loves you. Look at what the Holy Spirit prophesies through Jeremiah. And y'all, these people are so rebellious. God has told them and warned them and warned them, and they're being led into captivity. It's, you would have given up on them. God would have given up on me. Amen. But God's so wonderful in mercy. What does he say? Because, boy, the devil can come and say, God is against you. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Very personal, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And amen, we all know what that is as Christians, right? Eternity with him. And then there's a second part to that. Then shall you call upon me. And you shall go and pray unto me. You shall send I will hearken unto you. And look at this, verse 13. And you shall seek me and find me. When you search for me with some of your heart. All of your heart. All of your heart. That's what God is asking us tonight. Give him all of your heart. Seek him with all your heart. Don't seek him with part of your heart. Amen. Chris, if you can come up, brother. You might have heard these verses and this message a million times, and you think, well, I've heard that. That's no deep new thing. It's not. And maybe, maybe I'm the only one that needed it tonight. But it's so important, y'all. It's so important. Where is your treasure? Where is it? The altars are open. Lord, I just pray, God, that we would be honest with ourselves tonight. God, we'd be honest with how we esteem you and the things of God and our walk with God. And God, maybe for some of us tonight, the things of this world have become our treasure, Lord. Friends, reputation, money, time, relationships. God, I pray we just lay it all down. It's not worth it, God. God's calling us, sell it all, give it all, walk with him. It's worth it. You're seeing and you're walking in something that others are not going to understand. This world will certainly not understand. You're going to be like that man that saw that treasure in the field that no one else saw. But what a priceless treasure he got. That man that sold all that he had for that pearl seemed like a fool, but it was worth it. Lord, help us, God. You're worth it all. 
You're worth it all, God. I pray we don't lay up treasures here. Help us to lay up those treasures in heaven, God. Move in our hearts, Lord, tonight. Move in my heart, God. Help us to make those right decisions, Lord. Help us to have those right priorities. God, if you're calling us to something, help us to obey and just do it. Not drag our feet, God. Help us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.